0: Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout
1: Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait, where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates, zero Blackout Dates. Good to see
0: you, good to see you. How you doing? Nothing, nothing, really, truly, all day long, like 7-Eleven. I think that there should be like a special zone for indoors people at the base of a mountain. When
1: white people find something that they love, avocados, Christianity, they go fucking apeshit about it, right? They go wild, they want everyone to know, they talk about it all the time.
2: It probably took me having a conversation with you two to be able to feel comfortable saying these things.
0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. And comedian and podcast host Ivy Lee is here. She hosts a hilarious podcast called FOGO, Fear of Going Outside. As the name uh, suggests, it's about an indoors person forcing themselves to enjoy the outdoors, which is a subject that listeners to this podcast are all too familiar with. But before we talk to her, We're finally going to get to that exciting news we've been promising for weeks. Tim, you want to do the honors? Yeah, man. Uh, That's right. We
2: are really beyond excited to announce that No Blackout Dates has officially been acquired by Matador Network. For those who don't know, Matador is a travel media site specializing in all things travel, including food, drinking, nightlife, outdoors, basically everything that this podcast has been about since the very beginning. So... Evan, I think you can agree. I know I feel this way, but it's pretty much a perfect fit for us.
0: Oh, yeah. And you might be wondering what that means for the pod going forward and for you. Well, it's all good stuff, all good news. We're going to be getting a new look, new logo, website. Our show format might slightly change. We might sound a little better as we upgrade our equipment. Did I miss anything? No,
2: Evan, I think you covered it. Uh, We're not going anywhere, by the way. Uh, Evan and I will still be the hosts. We'll be here every week coming out with new episodes, coming out with fresh guests and cool, hot, interesting, and not always covered travel topics for you.
0: Yep, and we will be officially relaunching with Manadore sometime next month in September. Uh, We'll insufferably promote the hell out of it once that date firms up, so that's something else you can look forward to. Um, But in the meantime... Tim, should we get into hot takes? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, man. I got a good one to start off for you today.
2: Uh, What exactly is the difference between Holiday Inn and Holiday Inn Express?
0: I don't think we've gone... I think it's been the last, like, seven episodes, and you've always given me a question about Holiday Inns or chain hotels. Uh, What is the difference between Holiday Inn and Holiday Express? This is actually funny because I was just having this conversation with someone, like, yesterday. The difference is I think little, little known fact, people don't realize this, at least I didn't until like last year, Holiday Expresses are way nicer. Did you know this? You know, I've
2: always kind of suspected it, but you think with these chain hotel brands, you, they put the Express next to it. You assume with that word, it's going to be more of a like quick in and out. You're only staying for one night and then you're going to the airport. So why bother with all the nice amenities? But they do seem to be
0: nicer. No, that's just a scare away people who aren't in the know. So Holiday Inn Expresses are the new Holiday Inns. They're, I mean, I don't know, I can't say for sure if they don't build any traditional Holiday Inns anymore, but they're all, they're newer. They have continental breakfasts. They've got updated uh, pool areas, mostly with hot tubs, whereas the original Holiday Inns, just standalone regular Holiday Inns, do not have continental breakfast. You have to, they have a restaurant where you have to pay for breakfast. Imagine that concept in a chain hotel, paying for breakfast. They do have a restaurant, that serves dinner, so I guess that is, you could consider that an amenity if you really don't want to walk two steps next door to the Ruby Tuesday, but they have more outdated um, pool facilities. In my experience, they don't usually have hot tubs. The pools are older. It's just something that
2: I've always wanted to clarify because I've always suspected what you just confirmed, and I, I'm a big
0: Sheridan guy now. I just stayed at the Sheridan downtown Denver last week, and it was amazing. You would never think to brag to your friends like, hey, uh, gonna ball out on a room at the uh, holiday Inn express it's super nice the lobby is basically a co-working space which is
2: right up my alley so
0: do you like co-working spaces do you like those
2: I do man I, I'm a fan huh. I'm a fan
0: hmm. you learn something new every day right all right well my hot takes for you are going to start with a carryover from a topic that we started to discuss last week but we never really fleshed out the question is what is your earliest memory
2: my earliest memory, I believe, is me being in the basement of my parents' house in Burke, Virginia. Uh, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably about three. And only the only thing, it's like a still frame memory, like as if the memory itself is a photo of just me in the basement by myself, an unfinished, bland basement. But there's an audio clip with the memory of my mom answering the phone upstairs. Like I can hear my mom answering the phone. Interesting. Uh, and saying, hello, this is Luke. just so
0: alone in the basement as a three-year-old. A finished or unfinished basement? An
2: unfinished basement.
0: So you were just standing in your unfinished basement alone as a three-year-old. Were you an emo child? Were you particularly like kind of like dark introspective?
2: No, not at all. But I was very, very energetic. So I imagine my, my mom probably put me down there so I could run off some energy and leave her alone.
0: I thought that your first memory was going to be uh, this feeling of impending death as your parents pushed you down a ski slope at age five. <laughs>
2: uh, that, no, that, we'll, that joke we'll will get, become we'll,
0: clearer once you guys listen to the interview.
2: Yeah, we'll get into that later. But no, that, that's later. Uh, but yeah, that's my first memory. What's your first memory, Evan?
0: Mine, uh, unsurprisingly, it has to do with food. Uh, so I think my first memory is in preschool. I don't know what age preschool is, but it's preschool. I remember my preschool classroom for lunchtime, we would get, there wouldn't be a cafeteria that we would like go to and sit, we would order off a menu. So every day we get like this piece of paper that was a menu and it had like two options on it. It would be like macaroni with ketchup or like, I don't know, Pop-Tarts. And we had to pick which one we wanted and that, and then we would receive that for lunch. Like that's what we would get brought into the classroom for us for lunch. We'd sit there at our, de- at our table and we'd eat it. And I thought that was so cool, getting this menu of food delivered, because at home, I didn't get a choice. I sat down. My mom made me whatever I was gonna. She was making for dinner, and I had to eat it. That was that was that. In school, though, I got a choice of two options, and that sense of freedom and just endless possibility—by endless, I mean two options—kickstarted my memory for the rest of my life. Because that's the first thing I remember ever was looking at that menu in preschool. Huh. Well, that's a cool
2: memory. I, it's funny that we both have these memories of the same period of life, kind. of, Although yours is a little more clear and actionable, but. I, I've always thought that I was unique in having a memory that early, but maybe I'm not.
0: I Yeah, I'm curious what like the earliest, someone's earliest memory is. Like if, do you think anyone remembers? I thought you, I was really hoping Tim that you were gonna say, uh, I was like, oh, what's your earliest memory? You're, you're like, being born?
2: Nope, nope, I'm not that hardcore.
0: Remember every second of it, being born, loved it. Amazing experience, highly recommend. So next question for you. How do you solve food waste at restaurants? So restaurants, people don't finish their food, they shove it in the trash. The waiters do once once the people leave. I don't know what happens to it after that. I guess some restaurants will give it to like a like like animals on a farm or something. But is that really the best way to handle food waste and excess food? just giving it to animals. Like what else can, how can it be repurposed? What can we do to solve food waste at restaurants? Because it kills me. I die a little inside. Every time I see a pizza at the a table next door and there's two slices left and the people got up and left, they didn't take it to go for some unspeakable reason. And the waiter just comes by, takes the takes the leftover pizza, throws it away. Kills me.
2: Well, composting is obviously the easy answer to that. If, if more restaurants would compost. I You know, I think what And I believe this is happening in some cities, but uh, uh, compost service for restaurants where somebody picks it up from you, um, you know, daily or weekly, that seems like a good way forward there. I imagine there's a cost there that nobody wants to pay for, which is what's keeping it from happening. But that seems like the answer to me. The other thing is that at least in, you know, a lot of Western countries, the U.S. in particular, the portion sizes are so large nobody's ever going to eat the entire meal, you know, at least not always. Uh, whereas if you're in, one thing I particularly remember about being in Indonesia uh, of, of other places is that the portion sizes were very small. I always finished my meal, which I usually do anyway, I think, but I always finished it. I was satisfied, but there was never any leftover and no waste.
0: Yeah, I don't want to talk about small portion sizes because that also kills me a little bit inside. But I have—I I, my, my solution to this I don't know if I've told you about this yet, Tim, but I don't think I've shared it on the podcast, is my restaurant idea for a restaurant called Waste Not, Want Not, alternatively known is this... as dumpster diving. Go ahead.
2: I was going to just clarify that this is different than your restaurant idea where you order food for some random other person.
0: Nope, this is a different idea. Okay. It's gotten about the same reviews, though. So <laughs> this idea dumpster diving. Basically, the restaurant has two sides. There's a left and a right when you walk in the right side of the restaurant, you walk in, it's a regular restaurant, you sit down, you pay your you pay whatever the normal amount for the for the food is pay like 1315 bucks. And you eat, you leave, that's it normal restaurant, the leftovers on that side of the restaurant of dishes that can be easily segmented. Buffalo wings, mozzarella sticks, Um, pizza, quesadillas, things like that, easily segmented food, the leftovers, whatever is remaining. So not like soup, not salad, nothing like that. Those leftovers get transferred to the other side of the restaurant, the left side of the restaurant, they get put on a a buffet table on on a constantly rotating basis. So new food's always coming in. If you want to eat on that side of the restaurant, you pay $5, and it's all you can eat. Sit there as long as you want. Eat as much as you want.
2: That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean... Well, how, and how, how is it stupid?
2: Well, first of all, people are just going to mess with the food that they're going to leave to go over there. You're going to have some asshole that's going to like spit on the pizza or they're going to put acid on the pizza. Like, It's going to take less than a week before some terrible situation happens with the food on the left side and somebody gets sick or somebody is like having an outbreak, you know, like something is going to happen. But you're
0: signing up for that, Tim. You know, you're paying five bucks. You're signing up for that. Five dollars is all you can eat. Who is going to pay five dollars? Who is going to pay for that, though? Drunk college kids? I don't know.
2: I mean, I could see charging like
0: one dollar. Tim, when you were drunk in college and if you had you could go into a restaurant that had unlimited food for five dollars of Anything you can think of, buffalo wings, nachos, or I don't know about nachos, but pizza, uh, sticks, a classic drunk food. They reheated it so it's fresh. You telling me you wouldn't do that? $5, you're drunk, you know it's leftovers, you know it was on someone else's plate, but you didn't see it on someone else's plate. As far as you're concerned, it's, re- it's being represented to you fresh. I think it's all an optics thing. As long as you're not seeing it come from someone else's table, I think that eliminates the grossness factor.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure
0: tell me you wouldn't pay five bucks for that.
2: I think you'd have better luck no I wouldn't pay five bucks for that I think you'd have better luck just donating that food uh, you know to a to some sort of a weird food bank
0: <laughs> a weird food bank
2: you know like a normal food bank takes donations of like you know the expired deli sandwiches from the grocery store you know this food bank would be. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't. I I just, I just wait a don't... second.
0: A food bank will take expired, and they will resell or not resell, but they will uh, like a food bank will redistribute expired deli sandwiches.
2: Technically, yes. Technically, exp- expired by the okay. label.
0: You think that's better than reserving people fresh food
2: within a couple of days? Maybe it's not totally expired yet, but yes, that's like the the model of food banks is is they buy food a, but also they accept donations from grocery.
0: Hey, I don't expect to make a convert out of you. I, I think I've told probably like a dozen people about this idea and I've gotten zero positive responses. So, uh, hey, I'd love to hear it. NoBlackOutDatesPod at gmail.com. Tell me what you think about waste not, what not, uh, dumpster diving, whatever you want to call it. Uh, anyone who, who if, if you have if you think it's a terrible idea, keep your thoughts to yourself. If you think it's a genius idea, I want to hear from you.
2: While Evan is writing out his business plan that is doomed to fail, we're going to get into it with Ivy here, and we will see you on the other side.
0: Ivy Lee is an Austin-based comedian and host of the new podcast, FOGO, Fear of Going Outside. It's the newest podcast series from Spotify's Sound Up program, and it's already making a splash in the ratings, ranking in the top 50 of Spotify's culture and society podcasts. Ivy's also a writer, actress, advocate for immigration and civil rights issues, and maybe even more importantly, a huge advocate of the great indoors. Ivy, thank you so much for being here.
1: I am so glad to be talking with a fellow avid indoorsman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I'm really excited for this actually cuz the theme of your podcast has been a constant point of discussion on our show and an issue where Tim and I diverge pretty heavily.
1: So, um Tim, wh- why why do you like the outdoors?
2: Well, I grew up in Colorado, and it's basically been my my life since I was a little kid. They uh, kick I mean, you out up... of
0: Colorado if you don't like the outdoors. They they excommunicate you. And you're all not allowed to live there.
2: It's almost that bad. It's just hard to it's hard to make friends here, honestly, if you're not into it, because that's what everybody's doing. So there's not a whole lot else to do.
1: So it, peer pressure culture.
2: I would say peer pressure for sure if you are moving here from somewhere else. Growing up here, it's just kind of the culture. It's That's what, you know, my parents had me hiking. They had me on skis by the time I was five. So it's just kind of what you
0: do. That sounds kind of aggressive as a parent, like five years old, pushing your kid down a mountain on skis. like. You're like screaming. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And your parents are like, no. You live in Colorado. You're gonna do this. Abuse. It sounds like kinda yeah. Sounds like abuse to me. It's exactly. That's the, that's the word I'm looking for. That's what I've been looking for for the last like year. I've been doing this podcast like about camping, hiking, this whole thing. What is that word that this that encompasses it all? Just abuse. It's all a cycle of abuse. Uh,
2: this is probably the right episode to drop this knowledge. So I'm gonna do it right now. That you, so Ivy, you're probably not aware. Evan is aware, but I'm. I'm a month and a half away from becoming a father, and I fully intend on having my daughter on the mountain by the time she's three.
1: Wow, Tim, yeah, I have two children, uh, myself, and I would never uh, do that <laughs> because <laughs> I I value their bones like a lot. You're, you're you're out you're gonna be out there learning how to swaddle your baby into a little cocoon so that they can sleep. and then you're like, bro, down the mountain you go.
2: Yes, I mean, we'll start easy, you know, and they have the uh, they have the leash skis, you know, now so that you can go on the bunny slope with your toddler or whatever, uh, and you're kind of a foot away from them the entire time, so we'll see. Of course, if she's not into it, we're not going to keep doing it, but I do plan to introduce her.
0: That was my next question, is what if she says, like, no, I don't like this, I don't want to do it, like, how much are you going to force it?
1: Because she's absolutely going to say that.
0: Right, yeah, like... And if she doesn't she's kind of a psycho a three-year-old like speeding down the mountain on skis has no idea what she's doing if she likes that that's a little concerning to me tim i don't know we'll see It's either that it- it's either psycho or she's going to be the next lindsey vaughn i don't know we'll see so ivy a- a- as an avid indoors person what inspired you to start a podcast about finally venturing into the outdoors why bother with the outdoors at all
1: because i'm obsessed with nature shows <laughs> <laughs> and Interesting. I love nature shows. I love uh, David Attenborough. I love the cheesy ones like River Monsters. I love Naked and Afraid. I'm obsessed with nature shows. I watch them all the time. Uh, and it, they're fascinating. It's like watching a car crash the entire time. But you can't really trust what they're saying because they are biased, right? they're outdoor people. They have to be like, oh, eating this bug is amazing. And being outdoors is fun. And you know you don't really get to see behind the scenes of how miserable it actually is to be out there. And so I just wanna know, what is it really like? Like, how did they really get that shot? Uh, you know, are they? Is it real? You know, is a fa- is Naked and Afraid real? Are are these are these actual things that you have to do to survive out there? Uh, are they? Do they have? Are they doing things kind of behind the scenes to 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 make it work? Are they actually able to survive these things? I just want to know for myself. And because there is no outdoor show kind of with a skeptical perspective, I didn't see any other way to find out without just doing it myself.
0: So is there an aspirational element there? Like, do you think that you would ever one day parlay this podcast of yours into an outdoors show for non outdoors people really peeling back the layers, showing people what goes on behind the scenes, how miserable it really is?
1: Uh, I would love for it to be a TV show, but I definitely do not want to be outdoor girl for the rest of my life. I think my goal is to become famous enough that I will eventually get paid to do something I actually want to do someday
0: which is staying indoors.
1: Something indoors. Yeah, I would love to <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be on a luxurious set about like food or about like fashion or about just like anything indoors. That would be great.
0: It's it's funny. It, it strikes me as your love of outdoor TV shows is like someone who hates cooking or doesn't know how to cook or has no interest in cooking being obsessed with cooking shows.
1: I think that that does happen, but I think it's very human. We call it the rubbernecking effect. You know, when there's a car accident, a lot of the traffic isn't the car accident. A lot of the traffic is people slowing down to watch the car crash, right? You don't want to be in a car crash, but you absolutely want to see what is going on in there. And I think that's how I feel about them.
0: Okay. So you don't want to be camping, but you want to see other people suffer while they camp. But now you've decided to venture out yourself. And do this stuff in person and see what it's all about.
1: I it, it, it did turn weirdly into an anthropological study on how it, it you know, something that I love about travel is that you have I like to go to places that. There is no other way for me to understand how they see the world unless I go and try to live like they do and in their shoes and in their language like day to day. Just not not the fancy tourist stuff, just the day to day of what is it like to grow up here, to become a parent here, to be a child here, to work here, to live here, to vote here. What would that be like? Because when something is so ingrained in your culture, you can't articulate it to tell somebody else, it's really hard for you to understand to a point that, that there are people who see the world differently from you do when something is just so ingrained as to be a presumption, you can't articulate it. And I think that that is something about outdoor culture is that you can't, they can't explain to us why they're there and what that they see about it they can't articulate it a lot of people who listen to the show are outdoors people literally did not know that there are people who are indoors people
0: <laughs> I don't think Tim did until he met me
1: is that right Tim am I right I
2: think they're yeah I, I mean to an extent yes I think that for example in, in a place like Colorado like I am not among the legion of like the most hardcore outdoor people but if you put me somewhere where that's not part of the culture, I probably would be that person. And I think that if you were to go deeper than my interest level in Colorado, yes, you would find people that have literally probably never been friends with somebody that doesn't spend every free moment doing something outside.
0: Exactly, And I experienced this firsthand because I lived in, I'm from Massachusetts and currently in Massachusetts, but I spent uh, the last year and a half in Colorado and definitely saw this firsthand every single person I met. Uh, every weekend, it was like, let's go on a hike, let's go biking, let's go camping, let's do this, let's do that. And I was like, can't we just like, hang out at the bar and get mimosas and brunch and just chill like normal people? Can't we just do that? And everyone's like, but it's such a nice day. It's like, there's not it's not raining the sun's out. And like, does that mean like, does that, is that oblige us to go on a 14 er hike for 17 hours? It's like, no, it shouldn't. But for them, it does. And yeah, so I, I got to see firsthand Tim's, Tim's Tim's way of life and his world. It's, it's, a, it's a scary place, Tim. It's a scary place.
1: <laughs> it's wild. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it, it was like there's, a, there's this nature show, because I'm obsessed with nature shows. There's a nature documentary called A Human Planet. Where they go and explore uh, how people live in different, uh, like people who live near water, people who live near the woods or whatever, and explore all these different cultures. It was like visiting a completely different culture and the things, I don't want to be a clickbaiter, but the things that you learn about outdoors people (laughs) will will surprise you.
2: Well, I'm curious because this is something I always think about you know, when I'm taking, like I took Eben camping for the first time last summer. And I feel this way when I'm with, you know, other people that aren't as into it as myself is that I think that there's a, an intimidation factor. Like if you, if you've never camped before and you're going camping with a group of people that have been camping their entire lives, there's gotta be an intimidation factor there that to me seems like that might be part of the non-interest in pursuing these activities is because you you haven't yet seen through the barrier to what's on the other side and seen how actually like friendly and open the community is. Do you find any truth in that?
1: Absolutely not. I think the community is not very friendly and not very open. Uh, I think that it's not one barrier of intimidation. The barriers are not merely internal at all, although that's part of it. It takes me 10 episodes to get to the campsite, Tim.
0: Yeah, so you talk about camping... A lot on your show, and you and your you know process of how you pr- prepare and how you uh, how it went down when you actually were out there. What was some of your most standout experiences?
1: I think what really shifted for me was when I met Rocio Villalobos, who is an indigenous outdoor activist. She grew up on the east side of Austin, Austin, Texas. That's where I, that's where I live. It is the most racially segregated city in Texas. It is the most economically segregated city in the United States of America, and it pretty much is split east west. Uh, It has a very, very recent history of redlining. There's a lot of reasons why it's kind of divided socioeconomically and racially east-west. So she grew up on the east side. Her parents, who are indigenous, immigrated from Mexico, uh, and then she was raised on the east side of Austin, Texas. She did not grow up as an outdoor person. It, there are, there's a lot of reasons, it's family history, I mean, her parents like literally had to, her parents spent way too much time outside, they had to walk across the desert to get here, her father was a farm worker who spent a lot, way too much time outside, you know, so she, so she did not grow up that way. She found it later in life, and she's explaining to me on this hike, where it, it was flooding, It had, it was, the trail was actually closed because it had flooded, and we just kind of ignored the sign because that's what everybody else was doing. And she explains to me that my family's history of migration was similar to the fact that as an indigenous person, her relationship with the land was forcefully severed, and my history of migration, my parents were refugees from the Vietnam War, my history of migration also severed me with a relationship with the land. And that blew my mind. She said, The reason why I don't feel comfortable out here is because this doesn't feel like my land. And there's lots of subtle signs that tell me that. And for her, not so subtle signs. There are signs like the Historical Society here. There are literally plaques about this settler was accosted by native americans but persevered you know (laughs) but persevered so that his descendants could donate this land to the city to make this playground or this preserve or whatever you know it was and they never talk about what happened to the person who was living here before when they settled this land right the plaques never say anything so they're literally signs that would tell her like literal signs that tell her as an indigenous person she doesn't belong outside here And she's telling me that even if I feel that way, there's a reason why that there was a time and place where my ancestors did feel perfectly comfortable outside, but that that is just not the, you know, maybe the temperature like these are not animals and plants that I am familiar with because like we just got here in 1980. So, of course, I don't feel at home here, but just because you don't feel at home here doesn't mean that you can't rewrite that history by making yourself at home here and going through the uncomfortable feelings and going through the terrible things about being outdoors so that future generations also feel can feel comfortable wherever they are on Earth.
0: Should we have a, a moment of silence for that settler who was accosted that one time?
1: <laughs> he got a plaque. I think he, <laughs> he's fine.
0: Absolute travesty. Well, you've you've called uh, your referred to camping as a white people thing, and I would tend to agree. And I would want. I think it's worth unpacking that a little bit more because we're on the subject.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's kind of Tim's job here, Tim. I can't see you on this video, uh, but because you made him go camping, because you made your friend even go camping, I'm. I, he is white. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I
2: I am white, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that it is. It is very true, and I think it is a very – I mean, not even just white. I think a lot of outdoor activities, particularly things that are expensive, like skiing, are a very privileged thing to be able to enjoy. Um, And I I think that that is certainly a barrier that that needs to be addressed.
1: Right. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, why should pretending – Basically to be homeless be so <laughs> absurdly expensive.
0: Yeah, let's rebrand camping as just pretending to be homeless.
1: I think more urgently, I want to rebrand hiking as just walking.
0: Let's let's unpack hiking a little bit right now because that's that I think comes up more and came up more when I was in Colorado than camping did. Hiking. Talk about some of your recent hiking experiences if any and what your thoughts on hiking are.
1: I uh, do not have any recent hiking experiences (laughs) because it's it's not the kind of thing that I, like, spend my free time doing, right? I do it – I did it for the show, for the entertainment of others, and it's not – and I think kind of – for me to make a nature show from the indoor perspective, I just had to get over this initial hurdle of going on hikes and camping. And what I kind of concluded was that it's not that great. It's not as great as already says, but it's not as dangerous or terrible as I thought it was going to be. So it's just kind of meh do it or don't do it, or meh, if you're curious, go for it. If you're not curious, that should totally be okay. But hiking is like literally just walking. So the last time that I'm gonna start calling, whenever I have to walk to a bus stop, like I'm just hiking to the bus stop. So my last like hike, if we're gonna rebrand it as walking, is when I walked to the boba tea place called Coco's Cafe. That's hike like to it. behind yeah. my house. I, I hike to it,
0: yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, what's your, what's your elevation gain on that? Uh, like six feet. Yeah, it's real rough, rugged terrain, rugged pavement terrain.
1: It is really rugged.
0: <laughs> I think it's like, I wanna try to figure out, and Tim, I'm sure will be helpful here. What is the, I mean, no one should be judged for not hiking. No one should be judged for hiking. People can do whatever they want. But what is the appeal? What is the, if in fact it is just walking, what is the appeal and the the draw and the addiction of hiking?
2: I mean, if you want my perspective on that, like I view it as a form of exercise. Uh, and I, so I have, you know, I include hiking and other things like that as part of my personal fitness routine. Um, and certainly there is an adventure part to that that I selfishly like to be out exploring a new trail and then being able to talk about how I did that. Uh, That is certainly part of it. And I think that people that would deny that are lying.
1: You know what indoor people do for fitness? This is a pot quiz, him. Do you know what indoor people do?
2: Run in place.
1: (laughs) No, I don't run in place. So these are just like indoor things. I love to go salsa dancing. Obviously, the pandemic has made that extremely difficult. I love to go salsa dancing, which predominantly takes place indoors and at night when it's not hot. I, when I need a walk, when I go, uh, I go shopping at TJ Maxx where you do have to do a lot of walking and like kind of digging through and touching. You hike through
0: TJ Maxx, yeah.
1: I hike through TJ Maxx. That's exactly what I do. Uh, I like I think a long time ago, back when malls were a thing, I think that was half the reason why mom would just make us go to the mall was so that we would just, you know, her little kids would burn off their energy having to walk basically three miles to get from place to place, you know, around inside a mall or under like roofed yeah. garages. And if you get
0: hungry um, in a mall, you don't have to reach into your like wet backpack and pull out some grapes in a Ziploc bag. You just go into the Annie's pretzels. And you just grab a gigantic pretzel and some frosting.
1: Or, yeah, or, you know, I always have snacks on me anyway. That's something I found really fascinating. You know how every culture usually has a food? Like they have a cuisine, right? Outdoor people have their own cuisine.
2: Absolutely, they do, yeah.
1: It is fascinating. It's like they're like we're gonna go back into nature, but they literally. I saw at the uh, the nature store, there was like a there would be hiking snacks like a dehydrated mango. Like they take a mango, like a regular piece of fruit that 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 is encompassed in its own packaging. And they dehydrate it and smush it into a strip like a thick adult fruit stick or something fruit roll up but smoosh in a stick and then wrap it in plastic and sell it to you for like seven dollars at the checkout counter at the nature supply store
0: what they don't tell you is that that mango used to be a regular mango and then the mango went hiking <laughs> and that's what the mango looks like after a full day hike it just looks like all shriveled up and gross and dead
1: they shell they like I guess like hikers are worried about the weight, but they they hikers really like nuts. I can't eat nuts because I'm allergic to nuts, but they will shell they will sell them pre-shelled nuts in a package in like a plastic package to take on their hikes, and then mix it in with other things and they call it trail mix.
2: There's a a very blatant hypocrisy in that outdoorsy people uh, tend to be the same people that are you know harking on about climate and uh sustainability all the time yet then you go to the store and you buy all of this crap that's wrapped in plastic and is processed and is not grown organically and you then take it outside and you cook it over a campfire uh when it's in essence the least natural thing you could probably
0: be eating
1: Wow, Tim's really dogging on his own. He's just really throwing his, his own under the bus right here.
0: Did did we just convert you, Tim? Into... No, absolutely not. I mean and I did
2: Tim, I just hear you say you that, do you hate hiking? Did I hear you say that? <laughs> no, I'm I'm admitting that I'm I'm part of this and I'm guilty. However the thing is is that you you hear this stuff from these people but no one will take the 5 seconds that it actually takes to make your own trail mix at home and put it in a reusable bag and bring it with you. Like there are alternatives. You just have to not be lazy uh, that are actually better than buying the prepackaged plastic wrapped crap, you know? Uh, and I think that if the, if if the outdoors is ever going to be more inclusive, there are a million things that need to be done and one of them is addressing that. People need to to look back at themselves a little bit and and recognize
0: some of the nonsense that they're spewing uh that's harsh words and stay stay tuned for our uh tim's youtube video where he's going to be doing an at-home tutorial on how to make your own trail mix so uh, keep your eyes out for that everyone
1: y'all better deliver y'all better deliver on that content promise (laughs) this is unfiltered tim right here
0: he'll be mixing those nuts and
2: raisins and m&ms himself it probably took me having a conversation with you two uh, who are coming at it from a different angle to be able to feel comfortable saying these things in
0: the way that I'm saying them right now, right?
1: This is a safe space, Tim. There has never been a safer space than right hey, here. This is your
0: show, Tim. You can say whatever you want. This is, uh, it's it's funny. I think, just going back to the hiking thing for a second, my issue, I guess, or a thing I've never understood is the exercise thing i think is totally valid if that's your form of exercise it's a great form of exercise so you know you do you but hiking for the view i feel like when you and people who really really have an affinity for nature i think would completely disagree but when you've seen one mountainous landscape uh that slopes down into a forest you've kind of seen them all right
1: you know where i go for the view uh
0: paris google maps
1: no (laughs) like (laughs) uh beautiful cities
2: Sure, but that's also just an opinion, Evan. If if you don't like the view, that doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't think it's the best thing they've ever seen.
0: Of course not. No, this is all from personal perspective. And it's not that I don't like the view either. It's just that it's not a new, it's not new to me. Um, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not like oh, this view sucks. It's just like not I don't know taking my breath away like it would if I'd never seen anything like it before.
1: But then you don't get the cachet from bragging about it, which I think is really important to the culture.
0: That's the that's the main thing. Exactly. I'll tell you yes. when
1: I when I would go uh, hiking with my producer because uh, obviously we we had to we had to take a, I, I, I had to take several hikes. Um, one of them was in the bush, like literally undeveloped land. I went out to test myself. Uh, on a short on a on a short hike and completely undeveloped land with a group of guys whose profession is building trails. So there was they were at a work site. It was the very beginning of the project. There was no hiking trail to go to go on. So I was in the Texas bush. So this wasn't a problem there because literally we were the only humans that could access the space. But whenever I would hike with my producer, um, she and I are not super thin you know we're not in any we're not like we're not people who are going to be in an ad for hiking or anything hiking equipment or anything like that but she is an outdoor person it's very funny kind of contrast Uh, I'm really glad that I have her perspective on the show Uh, but she's definitely an outdoor person she goes hiking all the time and she says it's very common perfect strangers will look at her and look will just kind of look at her up and down and be like are you going to be able to finish?
0: That's so rude. Yeah.
1: That's so if you're just there for the view, that's so unnecessary. But it's extremely common.
2: If people can't be can't be courteous and think outside their own box, then you know they probably shouldn't be out there.
1: But they it's I think the, the the thing about any kind of fandom is that there's gonna be gatekeepers. And I think that there is kind of a feeling of especially in places where people are uh, supposed to be default outdoors people that that kind of what that gate what comes with that gatekeeping is this feeling of righteousness but like I'm a better person because I hike I'm a better person because I eat trail mix instead of whatever this other person is eating or or whatever and I think that's to that's the it's not the can I logistically plan a campsite? Of course I I have to do more extreme logistical things every single day as a working parent, you know, in a, in a hard job or like whatever. But, uh, that, but am, do I have enough fucks to give, to deal with people gatekeeping me every single step of the way? Probably not.
0: Right. And it's not, you know, maybe I'm, I'm sure as Tim would, I'm sure agree that, Tons of people who are into the outdoors and hike all the time aren't like that and do and are just live and let live, don't gatekeep, don't judge, whatever. But it does seem like the community has a disproportionately large number of people that do. And I guess a good example of this is, um, I think I've talked about this with you, Tim, is uh, going to Alaska, where I went for a work trip. They're very into the outdoors, people in Alaska. It's, they're surrounded by it. They're, you can't escape it. That's part of their everyday life but they hate people from colorado because they think they think that coloradans have a very uh, performative outlook on the outdoors and that they buy all this expensive hiking gear and they show it off on Instagram and they only venture on 14 hikes so that they can post about it and get likes. And So that's and then, their thing.
1: And then when they get lost because they're attempting things that they think that they're ready to attempt, that Mount Everest has this problem, right? Then when they're attempting things in Alaska that they think they're ready to attempt because they think very highly of themselves, Alaskans have to spend their money to go save them. And it's not like they have all of these extra resources to go saving these people.
0: Right, right, It's exactly. And it's because in Alaska, I got the sense that, I'm not an expert on either Alaska or Colorado really, but from what I heard from talking to people there, it's the outdoors and the wilderness is almost of necessity for them. It's part of their life. It's part of just how they exist. It's not something they go and seek out or drive three hours to go do a 14er they just, it, it, it's, it's something they can't escape and that they've learned to kind of love. Uh, so it, it's a very, you know, and they're generalizing about Coloradans and so, which also maybe isn't fair, but I just found that to be a really kind of, uh, on point analysis from other, from another state that loves the outdoors. I'd be curious to see,
2: and this is the Coloradans generalization that I would be willing to bet because the thing with people in Colorado is the people that are actually from Colorado say the same things about people from Chicago and Boston and New York that moved to Colorado, that they're the ones that are just moving here to post on social and spend all the money on unnecessary gear and have no idea what they're doing. Uh, So I'd be curious to see whether these people that they're labeling as that are actually from Colorado or whether they are people who moved to Colorado after college, because that is a that's a huge thing in Colorado as well.
1: All I can say about Colorado is that y'all really think avocados are qu- quite the gimmick.
0: Like, like they're like they're very high on avocados, is what you mean?
1: They're they're very like, look at how exotic this dish now. We have seasoned it with an avocado.
0: Well, when did avocado? So avocados were like discovered like five years ago, right? Like when? Let's talk about that for a sec.
1: I I don't think I don't feel that way because i live in a place that literally used to be mexico
0: yeah i mean avocados had a year like in 2016 i guess because like it became a cultural phenomenon
1: it became a white it became a white cultural phenomenon a white, and here's thing. the thing about yeah. white people though it's when white people find something that they love avocados mm-hmm. Christianity they (laughs) go fucking apeshit about it right they go wild (laughs) they want everyone to know they talk about it all the time they're gonna put on they're gonna make media they're gonna make t-shirts they're gonna like that's like when we mean discovered what we mean is Columbus by white people and then just kind of turned into this uh this like evangelical situation when like a lot of the world like we like Vietnamese people and Mexican people like we've been we've been on avocados (laughs) what do
0: you what do you think has more staying power Christianity or avocados right now um I feel like the star of avocados is rising whereas it might not be so true on the other side of things I
1: think the star for avocados is rising but at the same time uh with climate change I don't think that they're going to be around for long.
0: As as white people, that's tough to hear about the avocados. Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love I love to go to dark places. I'm a comedian, you know. I I have a show. I have a show about the outdoors. I make a dark joke about climate change at least once an episode.
0: To pivot from the from this very very, you know, relevant topic of of avocados to talk just a little bit about travel again. I think it's a kind of a constant unspoken assumption as a traveler that you Seize every opportunity that you get for outdoor adventure, especially as a travel writer.
1: I have never felt that experience.
0: So you don't feel that there's an expectation or any kind of pressure, external pressure, to do a popular local hike or to climb a thousand steps to a lookout to get a view. You don't. you don't ever feel that.
1: I I did feel this pressure one time and it was very wrong. I felt pressure to hike the entire Cinque Terre in, in Italy, and then I got in stopping. And of course, I would stop every so often because I hate hiking, uh, but I felt a lot of pressure to do it. And it was so wrongheaded because there were no Italians there. You know where all the Italians go? The next town over, Finale Ligure, and do they hike? No, they slay on the beach topless all day long, just chilling and having a picnic on the beach between naps at their hotels that's what they actually do on vacation and that's what i should have done from the very start i should have never hiked the Cinque Terre
0: exactly look at all the americans hiking and they're like look at these idiots could be relaxing on a nice summer's day and they're just like fucking busting their ass hiking dehydrated gonna end up like a bunch of dehydrated mangoes at the end of this I i think the same thing though could
2: also be said for food experiences right like does people in chicago go eat at uno's all the time probably not but you know what the tourists do they go to unos right when they get out of the airport
1: we see that a lot here in austin that uh, tourists feel pressure to eat at a handful of spots and just pour all their money into there and all and half their day they have to stand in line cuz there's so many of them and this is not not that big a city to be able to accommodate them
0: yeah no food is 100% like a, a common theme for that it's it's like everyone thinks the locals in france are eating bag strolling around eating baguettes and cheese all day but they're they're not they're eating, they're in pizza like everyone else but before we move on to our last segment, which is our listener question, I wanted to ask, as you've kind of ha- taken a few steps now on your journey toward becoming a little more outdoorsy, seeing what it's all about, what is the main thing that you've learned? Like, what has been your biggest takeaway from starting the podcast, venturing more into the outdoors?
1: I think the biggest takeaway is that you should just go as you are are and that even though there's going to be gatekeepers they have an illusion that they have a more legitimate relationship to nature than you do but it is a very thin illusion that they're like oh I bought this I belong out here right it's a very thin illusion it's like like hiking is just literally walking on earth like wear whatever shoes you want you know uh if you like to eat this kind of food then take it on your hike go camping with it like who cares like there will be there's this TikTok theme that when you're a person of color you're never truly alone because there's always a white person in your business they may be in your business uh, and at, yeah, that, that that does happen out there because 77% of visitors to the national parks are white. So you can just anticipate that when you go into these spaces, especially if you're a person of color, that there's not going to be a lot of other people out there with you uh, that look like you. And there's probably not going to be a lot of other indoor people who are accustomed to the indoors out there, you know, with you. But that just because let them think whatever they think, Whatever your relationship with nature is when you go out there, whatever you're wearing, whatever you like to eat, however you like to move in that space, is perfectly valid. The earth does not care. It's literally just, like, air out there.
0: Do you think that there should be, like, a special zone for indoors people at the bottom of, uh, at, like, the base of a mountain So that when you come back from a hike, it's like designed to allow indoor people to decompress. Like it's, it's low light. It's kind of like a dark room. There's televisions, there's like leather chairs. It's just a place for like.
1: Just like some zones with air conditioning and tacos.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good business plan. I I mean, I would, I would say that before we go, I, I, uh, it's been incredible. Ivy hearing all of these perspectives. And I, I think that, you know, these gatekeepers to me, it, it reminds me of like the sixth grade bully that just can't get over his own insecurities. And so he has to try to parlay those onto other people that are just trying to live their lives. Uh, that I I'm curious if you see any relationship there, because that's what has come to my mind a few times during this episode.
1: It yeah, you know what? I hadn't thought about it that way before, but that makes sense. Uh but the insecurity is not unfounded right like we were talking earlier about kind of our historical um you know i i I learned a lot about the land back movement from interviewing the people i've interviewed and trying to explore what it means to be outdoors and what the outdoors actually even is and there's a movement to restore land particularly the national parks to the indigenous nations that they belong to in the past that were just that were reset that were taken from them right and there's this the insecurity i think is kind of based on this idea of This myth that this land is wild, like if we took it, if we took this land and it wasn't really wild to begin with, but we said that it was wild to justify taking it, right? It, was been, it had been shepherded. The reason why there were so many woods when the settlers got here is because there had been very intentional stewardship of this land for 10,000 years. But if we have to, if we've all kind of in for a penny, in for a pound, we've all decided that we're going to pretend like this land was wild and that we were justified in taking it, well now we have to really kind of trump ourselves up and really pretend, right, really make everybody think that like we really belong out here and know what we're doing and that that's, you know, I get it that there's that, that's a very real reason for that insecurity that leads to all this gatekeeping. But like, come on, guys, the jig is up.
0: So it's always kind of been about bullying, bullying people off the land.
1: Yeah, they, that that's you know, kind of worst part of it. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to get into our last segment here, which is listener questions. So we usually source questions from listeners and pick one that's appropriate for our guests and then get your thoughts. So this one here, today's question is, I live in Utah and have always felt like a fish out of water. Every weekend, my friends get up at 6 a.m. to go mountain biking or go oh for my a, six-hour, God. a six-hour hike. Meanwhile, I just have zero interest. They used to say, if I tried it, I'd like it. Well, I tried it, and I don't like it. And everyone out here is exactly the same way. I love my friends, but should I move?
1: Yeah, you should definitely move.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should move. That's my advice. <laughs> just, just move.
1: Yeah, I'm kind, I'm like kind of joking. I live in a place like that. I live in Austin, Texas, right? Um, And I think the outdoor people are very loud about it, but that doesn't mean there aren't indoor people where you live. They're just not loud about it. They're just just indoors. They're
0: harder to find, yeah?
1: Right, they're just indoors. They're not like putting stickers about it in their cars. They don't have bike racks. They just have normal cars and they just eat normal food and they're just doing indoor stuff. Uh, So, you know, take your time. Like you can have... You can be friends with these people the other six days of the week, and then on that one day a week where they all get up at six a.m. to go do the thing, I think you should sleep in. And when you wake up, go get brunch with some indoor people.
0: How do you find indoor people? How do you meet indoor people? Because, like you said, outdoor people are uh, more—they're more accessible. They're more uh, easier. You want to hike? You could do like a. Do an outdoor yoga class i don't know you go you find a camping meetups group you, they're easier to find how do you find an indoor friend group
1: i think something that uh that you need you know is just kind of the balls to be alone for a little while if you want to go make new friends because if you go out and you're with kind of a gaggle of your friends it's going to be really intimidating for somebody to kind of break into that but I think it's really true that people are starving for friendships. People are starving for relationships. Everyone complains about how hard it is to make friends in a new city when they go to a place that, uh, that's after college, you know, as an adult. And so I think you can just have faith that there's a lot of people in your town who are looking for you and feel exactly the same way you do. You just have to go do things that are authentic to yourself and you'll find them.
0: Tim and I are big fans of going out alone, especially as as, as travelers. So, fully endorse that. The other frequent uh, thing we discuss on this show is the always exciting activity of dining alone. We we have friends. We promise.
1: <laughs> I believe you.
0: Anyway, my advice: just move. Just move away from Utah. Just do it. But Ivy, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you and your podcast?
1: You can find my podcast, Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, for free on Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Ivy Lee with one E, the phrase all spelled out like I-V-Y-L-E o-n-e-w-i-t you know what I mean like I'm sorry I misspelled that but you know what I'm saying like the phrase all spelled out (laughs) yeah
0: we got you we'll have the link in the in the show notes
1: uh yeah people I would love for people to slide my dms because I obviously am not famous enough to be allowed to do anything I actually enjoy doing as entertainment (laughs) so yeah I would love to hear what people think about the show
0: all right slide into our dms let's make ivy famous go outside stay indoors do whatever you want to do we will see you later ivy thanks again thanks guys All right. Well, it was a pleasure to finally have a fellow endorsement on the show. Thanks again to Ivy for coming on. That was one of my favorite conversations because it made me feel like someone out there understands me. You know, because Tim, as much as I love you, you just I just we're not on the same page on this one. And that's fine. But uh, it's good to talk to a like minded person and someone as hilarious as Ivy as well. So, Tim, I know we got a few takeaways. Why don't you kick us off? right yeah it was great
2: to have ivy on it was uh that was one of our more engaging conversations we've had uh this entire past year and i think like to me what stands out and what i i think was kind of the undercurrent of her of her conversation here is that the common perception of what the outdoors is and who is active in the outdoors is a facade uh to me uh was the biggest takeaway here i think ivy brings to light a lot of points that kind of, you know, if you were to head out on a trail in Colorado, you know, a common popular trail, survey the people that you run into while you're onto the trail. The vast majority of these people are going to be white, middle class, very likely uh, more than half male, and probably have not ever really taken the time to observe another perspective of the outdoors and of, of their gear setup and of their privilege and, and all these different factors that go into somebody's ability to be able to go skiing on a Saturday or camping on a Friday night or any of these other things that to so many people are very common. Someone like Ivy to the people she's voicing for, that's not their everyday experience and, and not even how they perceive
0: nature. As a white middle-class male, Tim, are you part of the problem?
2: Probably, yeah. I mean, I, I like to consider myself to be welcoming and and open but i'm sure i'm part of the problem i'm i i am that i am somebody that has lived in colorado my whole life and you know considers myself to be an outdoors person but i i don't i mean what have i done to make the outdoors more accessible probably nothing
0: hey you took me camping you took an indoors person camping that's what you did
2: i did do that i did do that yeah. that's true
0: i accessed it you helped me access the outdoors
2: the best thing that i got from talking with Ivy here today was the concept of the gatekeeper, gatekeeper because being a middle-class white male in Colorado, that's not really something I ever had to deal with. Like, have I felt that, oh, there are people that think they're more badass than me, yada, yada, yada? Sure. But have I ever had somebody that has made me feel bad for being out on the trail? No, I haven't. And, and certainly not in the way that she has and that I'm sure a lot of other people of color have. So
0: so you're not considering becoming a gatekeeper? No. No, give give two weeks notice of your outdoor editor position and just be like, you know what, guys, I'm going to become a gatekeeper. I'm going to gatekeep the outdoors. I'm going to keep people out that that shouldn't be here. I'm going to actually hit you with another takeaway, which I think just drives home a theme that people who are frequent listeners know already. And that's the outdoors can be a huge aspect of your personality or not like it is for you. And it's not part of my personality at all. But that doesn't mean we can't all still be friends right tim that's that's right evan i mean look at us arguably one of tim's most defining characteristics one of his his all of his favorite hobbies i have no interest in any of that but are we still friends do we still hang out and talk for three four hours every single week on this podcast you betcha
2: yeah, can we, do, we, do we still, like every time there's a work retreat or any kind of a meetup, do we hang out in an Airbnb and watch Blink-182 videos for hours on end? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> exactly. So just because, you know, you might have completely different opinions on the outdoors, that doesn't mean you can't join together in annoying all of your other friends by watching relentlessly videos of live Blink-182 performances for six hours on right.
2: end. The 90s have not died.
0: That that is the big takeaway here. We're going to sign off for now. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. Let us know what you think. Send us an email to pod at gmail.com. We'll see you guys next week.